Mahomes at bay. The Tampa Bay Bucks, Super Bowl 55. Hello and welcome back to the Bucks Banter Podcast. I am your host, Colin Hallboom. You can find me on Twitter at SI Buccaneers. And I am joined by just one of my two esteemed co-hosts this evening, and that is the one you all know and love, Bowdan Yard. We uh, we gave Scott the night off as uh, we assumed he'd be a little too off kilter following his round of golf earlier this afternoon. At least too off kilter to present his thoughts appropriately on a live podcast. Um, no, if I'm being honest, I really just didn't want to have to listen to another Urban Meyer rant. So uh, we gave Scotty the night off. And uh, this is actually, Bo, our Derek Brooks episode as this is the 55th installment of the bucks banter podcast so as always we are live on youtube twitter and twitch and if you can't catch us live this episode will be available on your preferred streaming service at some point later this evening if you are joining us for the first time and you like what you see and hear then please shoot us a subscription on youtube it is greatly appreciated and while you're at it you can check out all of my written work at sports illustrated's only website dedicated specifically to covering the tampa bay buccaneers and that is BucksGameDay.com. Um, the Bucks had their second day of minicamp today. So for tonight's show, we are going to catch up on any headlines coming out of one buck. Uh, it's nice to see all or most of the big name players are in attendance. And uh, then we're going to dive into some tape talk with our special guest for tonight's show. You can find his work over at Pewter Report, uh, where he's been putting out tremendous columns where he grinds the tape on various players and offers his in-depth analysis of their strengths, weaknesses, and whatever other observations he's able to make. It is my distinct pleasure to introduce a first-time guest on the show, but a prominent figure in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers fan community. That is Josh Quapo of Pewter Report. Hey, Josh, how are you, man? I'm good, guys. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. Bo, Bo, you feeling feeling good today? Yeah, I'm not bad, man. Feeling good. I like the throwback hat, Bo. Thank you. Appreciate that. Had to cop this one. And and Bo's not even a Bucks fan. That's what's kind of kind of why I like to have him on here. Keep me level headed. Um, Big logo guy though, and this is a great logo. Yeah, Josh, you're tell us a little bit about yourself before we get into covering some some topics. I mean, tell our listeners like your story. Um, you're from Georgia, is that where you're located? Is that right? Currently, yeah. Um, I grew up in Tampa. Um, so I grew up a Bucks fan. Uh, my teenage years were the, you know, the the Super Bowl run, 02. Um, as a matter of fact, funny story about that was the NFC was at the championship game where they finally got over the hump against the Eagles was the week that I was supposed to go and get my driver's license. And literally we had like it, it uh, scheduled for the day of the game. And I was like, well, I'm not missing this game. And my old man, he was like, well, you know, this is the only time I've got. So you may not be driving on your own for months. Are you sure you want to do this? I was like, absolutely. And uh, I do not regret that decision one one bit. Uh, it took me about five, six months later before I could finally get into it to do it again. Um, but it was totally worth it to see uh, to see that game. Uh, so, yes, yeah, so I grew up a, a, a Bucks fan, um, moved all around the East Coast uh, just for my other job. And then um, late last year, I got in touch with John Ledyard, who was with uh, Pewter Report at the time. I said, hey, you know, it doesn't look like you guys have really kind of a cap analyst, um, you know, somebody who, who knows that angle. Um, and I was wondering if I could contribute. And he said, yeah, hit me up in the, uh, in the off season. That's perfect for when we can bring in. Um, I think my first piece was on how the TJ Watt extension with the Steelers last year 
could affect the Godwin negotiations this year. Um, and then from there, it's just kind of taken off. Uh, we got to draft season and John did a wonderful job of kind of showing me some ins and outs of creating a uh, draft board. And uh, so I put out my first draft board this year. And then from there, once, uh, once the Bucks had their draft, I just kind of ran with the, the grinding the tape. So um, it's been a blast and uh, it, it's, I've really enjoyed it. So it's been a, it's been a really awesome time. Love that. Um, I can't think of a better mentor for that type of role than John Ledyard. I mean, let's be real. John's a goat, man. Like he's so good, especially with his draft takes. I've been a huge follower of his work for many years. Yep. And uh, obviously I've followed, you know, your entrance into the business as well, um, being a follower of his. So, and again, for anyone who doesn't know, like you got to check out Josh's grinding the tape articles and everything else he's putting out at pewterreport.com. Really fantastic stuff. And we are going to use some of the information he's provided us. I actually intentionally, Josh, didn't read your Russell Gage piece today because I wanted to hear it from you first um, sure. on the show. So I'm going to I'm going to put that out there right now. Okay. Um, but yeah, I love I love what you've been doing, man. Super, super nuanced insight and just really great stuff. So. Before we get into talking about some of the newest Buccaneers, I want to focus on some of the free agent acquisitions. Of course, Shaq Mason was traded for, and then we'll touch on some of the rookies, and we're just going to kind of see where the conversation goes from there. But before I do that, there's a couple, you know, headlines that have come up. Uh, mandatory minicamp kicked off this week. Second day of that went down today. Uh, Rashad White was excused for a personal matter. Hopefully, it's nothing too serious. Just speaking on one of the rookies. I, I do want to just kind of take a moment to acknowledge the fact that Logan Hall appears to be turning some heads. I mean, um, the first, you know, authentic reaction when asked about um, the, the rookie out of Houston, the de defensive lineman, was actually Will Golston on the Pewter Report podcast, which was a fantastic interview conducted by Scott and Matt, your colleagues. And uh, God, I love Golston, man. Like, what a staple for the Bucs. He's, like, he, he's an awesome interview i mean he just gives so much information it's not you know standard speak or anything like that um he just he really opens up and gives a lot of really great information and nuance in, in into the the locker room for sure like i felt like i i don't know man it re, he re, that was a that was an excellent interview and you know one of my favorite parts was hearing him talk about logan hall because it was pretty obvious he was i don't want to say astounded but he was a little taken back uh, when he got to see Logan Hall in person, he compared him to Noah Spence, which I, of course would raise an eyebrow for a lot of Bucks fans because Spence didn't pan out. But what he was, he said he was like a little fish for a guy that big. He's like he's he's my size and he moves like a little fish. So he's alluding to the fact that that Logan Hall is so twitchy and bendy for a player of his size. It's it's more or less something he hasn't seen before. And I found that to again be very genuine with the way he said it. We heard Warren Sapp, who was obviously um, involved with OTAs. Uh, you know, he was quick to, to praise Logan Hall after after seeing him up close and personal. Um, and Sapp doesn't praise any defensive lineman. Yeah, I was about to say. <laughs> you know, he's quick to he's quick to do the opposite, no question. Um, and then who was it today? Do I have? I I was writing it down, but uh, I'm, I'm blanking. Akeem Hicks was asked about him yesterday. And, yesterday uh, okay he he mentioned the quick twitch um he said look I, you know it's my first day so i didn't get to see a ton of it but he mentioned that and then he said that the biggest thing he's gonna have to work on just being six six just like you know hicks is a tall guy it's gonna be pad level 
uh, was was yeah. another thing that he had mentioned there. The other one I'm surprised you didn't go with with uh, Golston is after he he comped him to Noah Spence, he comped him to JJ Watt. So that's pretty high praise. <laughs> if yeah. your career turns out more like Watt than Spence, you're doing pretty good. No doubt, we'll I think, take that. I one. think I saw that today. He said that he was like more athletic than JJ Watt, which I was just like, holy, this is yeah. a lot for a rookie. Yeah, and and I don't know if it's quite like that. JJ Watt had a pretty good athletic, um, you know, <laughs> yeah. combine when he was coming out. No doubt. Now speaking of the Bucks D line, um, Vita Vea, uh, Vita Vea came in looking pretty hefty. A lot of people have spoken on that. I'm curious, Josh, like when you see a guy that big, as big as Vita Vea, and I, uh, apparently it's pretty common for him to you know drop weight once he get he wants to have a little cushion to, to shed some weight. Um, once he gets out in that Florida heat and starts working, like, do you have any concerns? I mean, I, and I bring this up as well, because um, just yesterday, you know, a lot of people are commenting on Leonard Fournette's weight and Leonard Fournette's size and Leonard Fournette does look substantially bulkier, um, at least to my eye. I mean, there's no denying that. And obviously they're two different positions. So I'm curious how you perceive that, you know, if you're a fan of the team or you're covering the team, like, what do you think? Is that a, is that a red flag in any way? Is it par for the course? What's your read? Not at OTAs. Um, I, I think when you get into training camp, yeah, it could be an issue. Um, Bruce Arians last year kind of called out Tyler Johnson for being out of, out of shape when he hit training camp. So when you get to there and they're not really close to their goal weight or, or where they need to be uh, from a training standpoint, yeah, it becomes a bit of a red flag. But you even see it with, um, uh, with Tyler Johnson last year that he very first day Arians called him out by the end of training camp. He's like, yeah, he, he's where he needs to be. So not really at OTAs. Most of these guys know their bodies really well and they know where they can be to start the process and, and to shed that weight. So I, I it's something to note um, and to check back in on, I would say, and follow up on. Um, but I'm not really concerned about it at this point. Yeah, and I would say I'm like personally, I'm almost a little less concerned about it with Vita than I even am Fournette. And it's not, I wouldn't call it concern. It's just if he came in shredded, I'd be I'd be amped up about that. Like seeing, hearing, reading reports about how how in shape Fournette is. And of course, like you said, it's OTAs. They've got plenty of time. So it's I don't want to hold anyone to an unfair standard. Lord knows I'd put that weight on a lot quicker and it'd take a lot longer to get it off, you know? But, Same here, bud. Yeah. You mentioned Tyler Johnson. Um, it's a big year for him because I felt like last season, Tyler Johnson got such a fantastic opportunity. And I would have bet a lot of money that he would have ran with that opportunity based on what we saw from him in his rookie season. Um, and and he fumbled. He fumbled on that. Um, not literally, but in the sense of he didn't capitalize on the opportunity last year. And it was a little bit disappointing, I think, to a lot of Bucks fans. And the same could be said about Darden, who... Uh, apparently is looking pretty sharp out there. Now I'm not there, but I know Josh, you're not there. We're based on where we live, uh, but we both have colleagues who are there. And at least the reports I'm getting is that Darden looks pretty sharp out there and and Brady's trying to see what he has. So I don't know if you have anything to add in terms of your outlook on those players this season and more specifically, anything you may have heard in relation to how they're performing so far um, in this mandatory minicamp. Yeah. So from, from, the from the rest of the pewter report team uh who have been at otas uh you're right darden has really shown up him scotty miller have really kind of been the two guys who have stronger opportunities to to really make the team maybe get into that wide receiver four wide receiver spot five spot both have looked really great unfortunately scotty's out this week 
Um, so Darden's really continued to step up. Scotty had a great week uh, in the last round of OTAs. Um, and then some of the the undrafted you know guys who have been invited uh, and, and gotten undrafted contracts, they have also shown up as well. As far as Tyler Johnson, you know, again, not really hearing a lot about him. You know, and I think it, a lot of it comes down to when you think about, you know, that rookie year and how much hype he had coming out of it. It came down to some big moments, you know, some shining moments, the catch against the Saints. But if we go back and we kind of look at what he was able to produce that first year and we look at what translates well for wide receivers. For me, when I look at a wide receiver, the very first thing I look for is can he separate? OK, and you look at the big moments that, that Johnson had, it wasn't him separating. It was him making some pretty tough catches and contested catches are great, but they're a lot less repeatable than getting separation. So I think that our expectations of him based on a couple of shining moments were potentially out of whack. And then last year it all came catching, crashing back on him because, again, he couldn't separate. And you're not going to have as many opportunities to make those tough catches. And even if you have the opportunities, it's not as um, repeatable. And so you have this year that I would say was probably more in line with what you would expect when he was drafted. But the expectations became so big that now he looks like a disappointment. Um, as far as OTAs, you've seen the same thing. You know, He's not separating. I think um, Matt Matera and JC Allen were talking about it uh, uh, earlier today. Um, you know, he, Jamel Dean was covering him on a rep and he just could not create any separation. Then, J, um, Jamel Dean was covering Darden later on. Darden was creating some separation and really showing out. So I think that's the big difference there. Really good insight again. That's why we brought you on here, Josh. Appreciate <laughs> that. Uh, Neil on YouTube says Leonard didn't miss a meal. I saw him called leftover Lenny leftovers Lenny, um, in an article uh, as a new take on his name. I think he'll be in good shape come the season. Uh, you mentioned Jamel Dean, and I want—I actually just uh, put up a piece uh, for SI um, about the PFF rankings that have been coming out. So yep. I know you guys have been covering some of that as well, because of course you know it's the dog days of summer, and you need content. And right. PFF, PFF does a great job of, of putting out content for us to to hyper analyze in addition to what they've already done. So. The cornerback, the outside cornerback tiers and rankings came out yesterday, uh, yesterday, two days ago, Monday. And I think a lot of people might have been surprised to see Jamel Dean ranked 14th overall amongst outside corners in the NFL. Um, the tier was on the cusp of elite and he was just behind Carlton Davis, who was ranked 13th. And I think like that's not surprising to me to see Carlton Davis ranked 13th on the cusp of elite seems like the perfect description of him. And I think where most people would probably categorize him even locally in Tampa, like with the blinders on, that seems about right. I think this is a big year for Carlton, but in terms of Jamel Dean, I know, you know, uh, he is a like PFF darling, right? Like their analytics model certainly favors the production that he's done in the moments he's healthy and, and contributing. What do you think of that number? Like, does that make sense to you? Is this just too much PFF specific? Because I think he has all the tools to get there. I just don't think he's there yet. Yeah, I, I, I didn't get to dive into their process on it a ton. I will say that cornerback productivity is really volatile. 
Now, yeah. One year you can have an amazing year. The next year, you know, you get hit for just a couple of uh, bad reps and it tanks their grade for you. Right. Cause it goes as a double minus and just, you go down. Um, I will say that Jamel Dean has all the tools to be on the cusp of elite. If not elite, he's got the speed, he's got the size. Um, he definitely has, he played, he balled out last year. I mean, there was a stretch. I want to say it was five or six weeks where you had no SMB, you had no Carlton Davis. He was number one and the Bucks pass defense maintained its level of um, productivity. Now that was against some pretty below average offenses overall. Um, and I would say where a lot of fans get really frustrated with the Bucks uh, pass defense, it's really not so much on the corners. It's how much they give underneath with a lot of the linebacker play and things like that. Um, it's just designed to allow for catches. And then you hope that there's not a lot of yak after it. Um, but he played, he played really well. And if he can stay healthy, I agree with the Bucks coaching staff that he can take that step into that echelon. And from a, a, just a physical standpoint in terms of the tools, he's got a bit more tools than Carlton Davis because he's got more speed than Davis. So he can keep up with, I think one of the unfortunate things with Carlton Davis that's going to live with a lot of people is that first half of the Kansas City game um, back in 2020 during the regular season where, where Tyreek Come on. just he, rede he redeemed himself. True, but it does still hang with people. And, and it makes you think, can he go – man-to-man -man against some of those really fast receivers without any help. Jamel Dean has the speed to do that. Carlton Davis, he may need some overtop help, and it kind of proved that with, with how they handled Tyreek the second half of that game. And then, like you said, with his redemption song in the Super Bowl. Um, so he certainly has the tools. I think Carlton's ranking was really um, in line with kind of where he is, top 10, top 15. Jamel has shown flashes. I don't know if he's got the consistency yet, for me to feel comfortable placing him there when we look at a larger body of work, say the last two to three years. And just to, to add on to that, I mean, I think in order for him to show that consistency, you know, he's got to be proved durable enough that he can play longer stretches without getting nicked up. He hasn't dealt with anything too serious, but he has been in and out of the lineup, which is, uh, you know, similar to Sean Murphy Bunting, who obviously started last year off with a pretty serious injury. Um, you know, while we're discussing Sean Murphy or sorry, while Sean Murphy Bunting's name comes up, um, actually, no, I'm going to save that one when we get to Logan, some Logan Hall talk. Cause again, you've done such great work. I want to talk about some of these free agency acqui acquisitions by the Buccaneers. Sure. When you actually, when you actually break it down, there's a lot of new names that have the potential to contribute this year for the Buccaneers. So it's not that same old story where they returned everyone, you know, all, all 22 starters, but I think that might be a good thing in this case. Um, and I want to start off. I want you to, to, like Russell Gage, I know you wrote about Russell Gage, you've grinded the tape, and I see him as a versatile piece. And, you know, although he's, at least my understanding, Josh, and correct me if I'm wrong, he spent most of his time playing in the slot for the Falcons. I feel like he's proven he can win on the outside as well. Yeah, um, absolutely. Right? Like, so, yeah, what were your biggest takeaways anyway, studying the tape on Russell Gage? What are, what are Bucks fans in for here? Yeah, he, he did play the slot a lot for Atlanta, and it was a much different role than Bucks fans may be used to in terms of a slot receiver. You know, when we think a slot receiver in the Bruce Arians offense, Byron Leftwich offense, um, that's a guy who's bigger. He's going to win vertically. Um, he's kind of a Swiss Army knife. And, and Gage was used in a much more short to intermediate way. Um, lots of hitch routes, lots of um, curl routes, uh, ins, outs, things like that. So when, like, if you're box score scouting him, you look at the, his career, like 10.7 yards per catch and you go, all right, so this is like 
what a Wes Welker, you know, something like that. And he's really not, you know, he's six foot. Um, he's, he's not as thick as Chris Godwin. I think he's around 180, 185. Um, but he can block his ass off and he can win vertically. He just wasn't asked to win vertically in Atlanta, not until last year. And last year they started getting him downfield a little bit more and he won in those roles. He can get off a jam. Uh, he can beat press coverage. He can get deep. He ran a 4-4-2-40 um, at his pro day from LSU. He wasn't invited to the combine because if you go back and look at his college stats, he had less than like 25 catches for his career. Um, so he was very much a project that Atlanta developed, and they did a great job of developing him, and he's become a real weapon. Um, and there's really no way that he can't win. He can win any way you want him to and any way the Bucks will want him to. He can play the outside receiver role um, for the Bucks with Godwin really having that slot role. But what I love is that his presence provides depth at the slot. You mentioned earlier, Tyler Johnson got the opportunity to move into the slot when Chris Godwin went down late last year, and he just wasn't able to do what Godwin could do. Russell Gage can do almost everything Godwin can, not to the level Godwin can, but he can perform well enough in this offense that if Godwin's slow to come back, you know, he's not there for week one, week two, week three of this year. Russell Gage can perform that role and should be able to be successful in it. Oh, you like Russell Gage, eh? You like again as as our objective <laughs> non-Buccaneers fan. I feel like like you probably watched him because you got to watch all these Bucks games now, so you can prov- you can dive in here with these, which you've done. Um, but then you must have seen him just just beat up on the Bucks the last couple of years. I mean, he's been very productive when when playing the Buccaneers. Yeah, he's definitely a productive receiver. Um, I feel like. The decline of Matt Ryan made it so that he wasn't going to be like winning downfield as much as he probably could. But I think he hit the nail on the head, Josh. Uh, I think especially with uh, Godwin, do we know, is there any update on Godwin when he's going to be back? No, the team's been purposefully um, with, yeah, they they won't give any timetables. They just say he's doing well. Okay. Okay. Yeah. And, you know, not to speculate, but I'm about to. Um, (laughs) If, if there's anyone like if you know Godwin's history, his work ethic, like his emphasis on training regimen. I mean, his now wife is like a fitness. I don't want to say freak because it's it's not as endearing when you use it, maybe. But she's she's a fitness uh, professional, I believe. Yeah. Um, anyway, his whole family, like that's just a priority for them. And he's just such a tough guy. Like, I wouldn't be surprised to see him come back sooner than many expect. Um, but there's a chance we see him, right? Like potentially for week one, I would prefer to, you know, I'd prefer to sit him if there's any hesitancy at all, because a lot of it's going to be mental coming off that injury. But God, if there's anyone I'm going to bet on beating their timeline, it's going to be Chris Godwin. Yeah. Um, we had a Cyril Grayson on the pewter report podcast, um, last week. And he said, watch out. Like he he's been watching Godwin train. He's like, I think he's further ahead than a lot of people would, um, would expect and uh Grayson was like he was he was blowing up like the miles per hour when he was training so um if that's any indication plus what we know about his work ethic I'm I wouldn't bet against him being sitting out a week one and like to that point Russell Gage being a quite a good insurance policy if it does take a week or two extra right so I I like that signing right away as soon as that broke um I think especially you brought up a good thing. I, and I guess maybe I just wasn't watching for it when I was watching Russell Gage, but knowing that he can block. Um, and I think especially in this offense, I think behind the Ravens, I don't think there's any 
other wide receiver group that's asked to block as much as the Tampa Bay Bucks are. So um, knowing that he's going to be, he's capable of doing that is going to be productive doing that. That's, that's huge. Yeah. He really developed that in, at his time at LSU because he was really just a special teams ace. So okay. he was, he's willing to get in there. He's willing to scrap. He's willing to play bigger than he is. You see that not only in how he blocks, but you see it also um, in, in his ability to go up and really in tight spaces, just, moss guys um on on the grinding the tape that i did there's he had an amazing game against san francisco last year and there were two different times where there was no separation on a fade route and he just went up and i mean matt ryan had every ounce of faith in the world he was just going to go get it and he did and one ended up being a touchdown it was just beautiful and you just you feel bad for the corner because he did everything right and gage just said no it's mine yeah. Yeah. I, I, I read, I read the article. So yeah, I saw, I saw that piece of tape and I was just like, okay, I, I kind of remember that game as well, but yeah, there's, there was no room for error on that for uh, Matt Ryan and Russell Gay just made sure that even if there was a little bit of like wind or something, he was getting that ball. So. And you see it, how he plays through jams. Like he, he will yeah. lower his shoulder and he will run through a guy just trying to stop him at the line. So yeah, he's a really fun watch and I'm excited to see him and what he can do with the bucks. And that physicality that you're describing, I mean, that's just clearly an important attribute for these bucks receivers, you know? Um, Cause like, think of Evans, think of Godwin, like yep. those are physical, physical players. Um, and you know, the guys, the guys who we're talking about fighting tooth and nail to secure that fourth or, or fifth receiver position, that might be a, a, an area where they're not quite as adept. So just an interesting difference there. Um, one yeah, of the many see, differences, but you, you see it in terms of like how Arians talked about Scotty Miller last year, right? Everybody, Scotty Miller had this epic, you know, kind of 2020 for what everyone thought he would have, right? First half of the season, he's the team's leading receiver, right? They bring in Antonio Brown, um, Evans and Godwin get a little bit healthier, all of a sudden he's relegated to number four, but then you get into the playoffs. He has the big catch against green Bay and everyone thinks that between him and, and Johnson, they're going to have do big things last year. And then you kind of don't see Scotty, you know, it, there were some injury issues there, but Arians publicly said he's got to make some grimy catches. Right. So he was even saying there, you've got to play more physical than you've been playing. And Russell Gage will certainly, you won't have, hear anybody talking about him and a lack of grimy catches. I guess my only like counter to that um, is like Scotty Miller isn't going to be that grimy. Like that's like, if you're drafting Scotty Miller, it's kind of to take the top off the defense on occasion, like reminds me of like those Deshaun Jackson. So you can't, it's kind of not fair to ask a horse to be a donkey or vice versa. You know, I don't know if that's a real saying. I think I just made it up, but I think um, it's the other way around, but you were pretty darn close. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Um, I don't disagree in terms of, of what he is and, and will he ever be that, but you, you can see it in terms of what the coaching staff places um, a premium on, you know, and, and Gage certainly has that in spades. Absolutely. Let's shift to the other side of the ball. Um, pretty big signing. And I, and, and I found it interesting. I mean, not only does it kind of signify the inevitable departure of Nadamik and Sue, um, but bringing in Akeem Hicks, it's something that, you know, a lot of Bucks fans had speculated on and, um, he's a player who has just been so dominant at times. And then obviously the injuries have slowed him down. Like, do you believe Akeem Hicks, if he can stay relatively healthy, will bring more to the Bucks pass rush than a Domkins who would have. And if so, what is it 
Josh, that makes Hicks a greater threat as a pass rusher at this point of his career than Sue at his? Sure. Uh, I do. I do think that he will bring more as a pass rusher. I honestly think he'll probably even bring more as a run defender. As great as Sue was over his tenure uh, with Tampa Bay, last year was kind of a step back for him. And while um, he had, uh, he actually had an amazing final game uh, last year against the Rams. But overall, if you look at the, the course of the season, he struggled against um, some wide zone stuff. Just he'd end up getting his hips turned and kind of getting run off the play. And as far as a pass rusher, he still had times where he could look good. I just I'm not sure if he had the juice to to get home as often as he needed to. Um, with Hicks, you won't have that problem you know, based on his tape last year. And that was even through some injury plagued games and just a season in general where he ended up getting lost um, without, I think he played about half the games. His first step just jumps off the page. I mean, they, you would think that offensive linemen, they do their tape study. They know what they're getting with Hicks and he still surprised them. Um, he can just launch off the ball. And from, and that's not something that Sue really had at this point in his career. So that right there. And for, again, for me, when I, Look at pass rushers. That's the very first thing I want to see. Can you fire off the ball as you know with authority? And Hicks for, certainly can. Um, so he's got that explosive first step. He brings a ton of power. He's got a great bull rush, um, and he really sets up angles well. That's the thing that really shined through. Is he gets offensive linemen moving in one direction, and he just sets up a lane to get to the uh, to the quarterback, and from there just that pass rush plan that he has and the way he can execute it and how fluid his hips are to allow him to do a lot of those things. He's setting guys up laterally and vertically at the same time. It's a beauty. And and it's not something that Sue had at this point in his career. And I do think that given his health, Hicks will be a step up as both a pass rusher and as a run defender. And one of the things that I thought is a perfect example of how detailed you get with with your grinding the tape stuff, your work is your tape study is uh, talking about his lateral quickness. Like it's not something you always hear about when we're we're analyzing the performance or ability of interior defensive linemen. Um, but the fact that he he has that kind of juice to him is 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 unique, right? That's something you can't teach. That's just a form of uh, quick twitch athleticism. Yep. And, you know, as you mentioned, no disrespect to Sue, but it, it appears as though Hicks, you know, a couple years younger, has a bit more of that juice left in the tank and maybe is more of an explosive ass athlete anyway. It's just Sue has just dominated off sheer will and force and ferocity over the course of his career, right? That unique mindset, which I believe has helped change the culture in that Bucks locker room. And I, I don't see anything wrong with moving on at the appropriate time. I said it on our previous show that change is good. And I think I think this is a good change, and I don't want to call it a gamble, but you're just gambling a little bit on him staying healthy as much as yep. possible. But you have that insurance by adding reinforcements there via the draft, Logan Hall. It it sure could pay off in a big way. Yeah, it, it's a calculated risk, and I think the Bucks were comfortable taking it because of the depth that they set up with you know drafting um, Logan Hall in the second round, right? So if Hick, last year, if Sue goes down, Golston now moves into your three-tech you know, on a much more – um, permanent basis. And then you're asking Nacho and you're asking some um, Steve McClendon to really win as pass rushers. And that's just not where they've been successful in the past. Now, if Hicks goes down, okay, we can rotate Golston, who's still effective in that role um, with Logan Hall. 
and they feel better about that depth at the pass rush. So they're willing to take the risk. And I, I think it's a smart play. Um, as far as what she said about, you know, the, the quick titch, twitch, the lateral agility, I think it's becoming more and more necessary for interior defensive linemen with the prevalence of the wide zone offense. You, you need it. You need to have that lateral agility to win in the run you know, as a run defender these days. And it sure can help it as a pass rusher. And just to think of, of, or sorry, I actually want to ask you a question about Logan Hall. So the, the acquisition of Akeem Hicks, one of the things I thought of, and, and I, I'm really curious to get your take on this. I think bringing in, when they drafted Logan Hall, the intention I think is primarily as an interior defensive lineman. Obviously they love his versatility and would have still utilized him off the edge in sub packages and on certain occasions. But do you think it could mean they're going to, because the edge rusher position, I mean, obviously they're expecting big things from J, uh, JTS and, and Shaq Barrett as well. Um, but after that, there's not a ton of depth at the edge position. And I just, I can't help but wonder, does this mean we're going to see a lot more Logan? They're going to find a way to get Logan Hall on the field and it could be to spell those guys more frequently than at least I anticipated prior to the acquisition of Akeem Hicks. It's possible. It's hard to say right now. Um, one of the things that I think has kind of been a um, theme of this offseason for the Bucks, at least on defense, is versatility. You see, you know, a, a lot of the acquisitions that they've made, they've made, they have a lot of versatile skill sets, which allows you to kind of move pieces around. Um, Logan Hall certainly fits that bill. Um, Dane Brugler um, uh, from uh, The Athletic who does an amazing job in terms of draft prep and, and creating what he calls the beast. And he goes in depth on over like 300 different prospects. He had Hall listed as an edge rusher, not as an interior defensive lineman. I think he was like a top five edge rusher for him. The Bucks obviously drafted him to be an interior defensive lineman. So, and he has experience working off the edge when he was at Houston. So it's certainly a possibility. The thing that I worry about is how much does that stunt his development as an interior defensive lineman? Um, we saw last year the Bucks move JTS around a lot, and a lot of Bucks fans were a bit disappointed with his level of production. Well, he had a year off from football. Let's not forget that. You know, at Washington they had an abbreviated season in 2020 due to COVID, and he opted out and just spent the time getting ripped. Um, so he had a full year off, and then when he went to Tampa Bay, they used him on the edge, but they also used him on the interior, and those are two different skill sets. They require two different ways of moving, and some could say that it potentially stunted his growth as an edge rusher. I wonder if that might happen with Logan Hall if they try and do that with him this year. That said, it'd be fun to watch. I, I, would, I wouldn't be upset with it as a viewer um, because you, you set him up in a rotation with JTS, and with Shaq Barrett, and I think that some fun things could happen. And the Bucks do move guys around. Sue played off the edge last year. Vita Veyes played off the edge. I still remember you know, week one against Dallas. Um, they had Sue and, and Vea lined up on the edge. They had JPP and Shaq, I want to say, lined up at, in, on the interior standing up. And it was just like, what is this and what's about to happen? It was so much fun to watch. So, it's part of what I love about Todd Bowles, though. Like, sometimes it kind of drives me nuts. I know Bo would kind of be like, okay, like, we don't really need to see Vea in coverage just to uh, <laughs> create create an inversion deceptive uh, stunt here. Like, we could probably avoid that. But, I mean, at the same time, like, 
it's an interesting point you bring up about the development of the young players. So I almost feel like um, it makes sense, like with Vea, with Vita Vea, or how like like JPP was awesome at kicking inside and being effective mm-hmm. there with those long arms. And I mean, God bless JPP. I appreciate him. Uh, but at the same time, and I, everything he did for Tampa, but I feel a sense of relief with him having moved on. Like I was really hoping that would happen. Um, because it's just like it, w- it was almost criminal the lack of snaps that JTS was getting compared to what he w- what he was he deserved based with on his play on the field. So, um, what are you expecting from JTS this year? Like, is or what are we going to see from him in your opinion, Josh? And I know we've all been we've all seen the same things. Um, maybe had some trouble fi- finishing the deal, but he sure as hell was getting in the face of a lot of quarterbacks last year in a limited opportunity. Yeah, um, he was, I want to say his pressure rate was somewhere around 8 or 9% last year. And with a lot of pass rushers, you see a big jump in year three in their pressure rate. Um, and I tend to look at pressure more than sacks because sacks are volatile. Uh, it just, a lot of that just comes down to how often you can convert your pressures into sacks. And that doesn't trend well year over year. Um, I do see him taking a step up this year. Um, and from that eight to 9% pressure rate to, you know, a little bit more like 10 to 11. And with that, if he has like a league average conversion rate, which is around for edge rushers, 18% of your pressures turn in the sacks. Um, I, I actually did an article for Peter report kind of projecting or, um, sacks for the bucks pass rushers. I think I put him somewhere around eight, eight and a half sacks. And I think that that's a legitimate estimate, um, based on what I think think he's going to take a step forward in terms of his pressure rate plus extra be, playing playing time on top of that yeah i think that'd be a nice number and do you remember what you had for shaq barrett because i was looking at it today obviously he had 19 and a half his first year in tampa which is setting the bar obscenely high came back it's with i think third conversion rate on that year <laughs> yeah i bet and then eight and a half the next year and this past year he was at 10 so like like giving us double digits is nice um it'd be it'd be cool to see him tack on a few extra get into those teens but uh do you remember what your prediction was based on your model yeah so i had it at 13 um the one thing to note though is working off of the pff um information they don't credit half sacks if you get to the quarterback and you are part of bringing him down they credit it as a whole sack so i had him at 13 based on using their data and kind of their method so you figure a few of those end up being half sacks. I would put them around 11 and a half to 13. Um, but one of the things that I think with Barrett, it's incredibly important to remember is the man over the last three years has one of the best pressure rates in all of football. And, uh, and, and it, it's really fun to watch him get after a quarterback. I thought he should have been MVP of Super Bowl 55. Um, Don't disagree with you there. Yeah, that, and I had that as a bet too, so I was extra <laughs> pissed. But that's not why I thought that. I actually thought that after. Um, do you are you worried at all about the depth of that position? I mean, I love those two starting, you know, bookend edge rushers, but what happens if one of them goes down with a season-ending injury? All of a sudden, you know, that interior D line is still looking looking the opposite of sleek, but just as sexy based on them being healthy in there. But but what about the edges, man? What are, what's going to happen in that? in that sort of scenario. I think if they lose one Bowles is a creative enough mind and he loves to create pressure in unconventional ways. I think they can overcome it. If they lose both of them. Yeah. Obviously the, the depth at that point is, you know, you've got Anthony Nelson, Cam Gill right now, I think is slotted in as kind of edge rusher for it. And Cam Gill can be fun on some sub packages late, you know, on long and late downs. Um, but 
for him to hold up at sub 240 um, in that role over the course of a full game or multiple games, I think is asking a lot of him. So one edge rusher, yeah, I think they can still survive it. Um, if both of them go down, that's, that's going to be a tough pill to swallow. Maybe uh, you could see Bowles get a little creative instead of the Vita Vea in coverage, maybe throw Devin White into a kind of a Micah Parsons role. A little. Uh, I, I would love think? to see White in some sub packages there. If yeah. nothing else, it gets him out of coverage. It's a great suggestion, Bodan. Yeah, that, that's exactly what Bo says. He's always yeah. given giving me a hard time because I've been like a big Devin White believer. And this year I had to kind of this past season, I had to kind of eat my words a little bit. Um, speaking of PFF, that's a guy PFF hates. He wasn't even in their top 32 rankings. But again, there's a specifically focus to their model. I mean, you ask any any GM, any GM's nephew's cousin, and they all know Devin White is a top 32 linebacker in the NFL. At least that's what I think. So I'm hoping for a bounce back year from Devin White this year. What's um, interesting about White is the PFF models don't absolutely don't like him, right? His PFF grades are terrible. You start listening to some of their analysts and they talk about how like White sacrifices so the defense can succeed, um, which I don't necessarily agree with, but a lot of their analysts really still believe in him. He's got all the physical tools and it's fun to watch him on the podium when he's asked about it because he knows where he needs to work and he's very honest about it um, in terms of when he's in those very formal, you know, media sessions, he's like, I've got to get better in zone reads. I've got to be able to, to understand that concept better. Um, and so he's got the tools to be elite. I don't think he's ascended there yet. I think he wants to. Um, so it's, it's really interesting with him. I comped him to like the linebacker version of Jamal Adams Right. The one thing he does at an elite level is something you wouldn't expect or really look for in a model for a linebacker. He's amazing at getting to the quarterback because he just uses his explosive first step and his speed to just yeah. get into the backfield. But the things that you really want out of that position, he's still working on. Yeah. And, I, you know, let's see, like if, if I don't know, like you're saying, Bodan, like using him in more of that Micah, Micah Parsons, Micah Parsons role, like. I don't know. You don't see Micah Parsons being put on an island uh, defensively. Obviously, he's more of like a hybrid edge rusher slash uh, like he's not a strictly an inside linebacker. But um, I'm hoping you would hope he could use his speed. He's just got to stay under control, right? Like he, yeah. I love the mentality. The mentality is so well suited, especially back in the day. Like, if, are you kidding me? If if he was playing in like the the 80s, he'd be like the Lawrence Taylor type or like. Uh, I don't know, Dick Buckus, if we're going back even further, like he would just be a legend. But, you know, linebackers this day and age are asked to cover. And, and I'm hoping now like Levante David's able to help him out, keep him under control a little bit, because that's a perfect guy to learn from. Um, I do want to shift to the we, we talked about the defensive line, the the one trade. So I, we've got a lot of free agency acquisitions or player acquired via free agency. I want to talk about Shaq Mason. I know you broke down the tape on him and he's an interesting player. I know he's well-respected as a mauler in the run game. Is he underrated in pass pro, Josh? Or is it more that he's just not as dominant as he is on the ground? Can you shine some light on what Bucks fans could expect from him uh, this season, filling in for, for um, Kappa, Alex Kappa? Yeah, I'd say both. Um, he, he's underrated, um, but he isn't as dominant as a pass blocker as he is a run blocker. He's absolutely more comfortable moving forward than he is moving back. Um, when I was watching him, you know, his anchor – isn't that great? Uh, and so for those who, who don't really know, like, is he able to set his feet 
and just let some guy who's trying to power over him just stop him, right? And his anchor isn't the best, all right? It's just not his thing. But he makes up for it in terms of a lot of it's mirroring. Like, he's just really great at mirroring the defender. So he's always keeping himself between the defender and the quarterback. And as long as there's something in between the defender and the quarterback, it's going to be really hard, unless he's just vita veying you right into the quarterback, it's going to be really hard to get there. Um, so he's a technician. He's great with his hands. He's got a solid punch. Um, and all of that allows him to be above average, I would say, and very effective as a pass protector. Um, he's just, all of his highlights are just going to come as a run defender because the man will just run your ass over um, <laughs> when when told to. <laughs> so um, that's that's the really cool thing about Mason. But you put him in there and you feel as good about him at right guard as you did about Ali Marpet at left guard. Just Whoa. in general, you feel Whoa. good about it. You're, Brady's not going to go into any week and go, I'm worried about my right guard as long as Shaq Mar- Mason's starting. It's just not going to happen. Wow, big praise. I like that, man. That's good. Huge. That's because that, that is Ali Marpet, right? You, if you got a, any offensive lineman, but especially along the interior, if you don't notice them, that means they're doing a damn good job. Um, and that's ultimately what you've described right there. Luke Gedeke. I, I was pronouncing it Luke Gedeke, and then I heard him. We all it's, it's Gedeke. Um, but, you know, I, I, I don't think he was perceived to be, you know, a second round pick or at least at that spot. Jason Light, man, like this guy and his staff do a hell of a job identifying talent along the offensive line, um, especially like those guards. Um, you know, we saw something Ryan Jensen, and he's just hitting at an almost what feels like an unsustainable unatta- clip in terms of his investments in the position. I have confidence in Gedeke just based off of the fact that they thought he was worth moving up, whatever it was, seven spots, five spots to grab him in the in the second round. Um Third round? What am I? No, he was, no, they moved he was the second. 57th or something like that? Yeah, around um, there. Yeah, um, late second. Anyway, you've broken down the tape on Gedeke, I believe. Is that right? So I didn't uh, get a chance to do Gedeke. Um, John Ledyard uh, did a fantastic piece on him. Now, because it was John Ledyard, I read everything he did. He, he's written um, for Pewter Report even before I worked for them. So he did a great breakdown on him. And, and Gedeke, you know, very similar to Mason, just high level in terms of where does he win versus, you know, what's his stronger game. He's much more comfortable as a, a run blocker than he is as a pass blocker. The other thing with Gedeke is there's going to be a transition period. He played mostly right tackle at Central Michigan. He's kicking inside to guard where his athleticism is going to play a lot better at guard than it did at tackle. He just didn't have the long enough arms to really be successful against long-limbed uh, edge rushers. And he he's a mauler. I mean, and he's quoted as saying, you know, he's a glass eater. He really is. He just loves breaking people's spirits. And so he's going to run over dudes. And I, I'm excited to see the two of them pair with Jensen, what that could mean for the Bucks run game. Not that I want to see them run the ball 35 times a, a game, but I'd love to see them be more efficient. And from there, potentially set up more play action which is where that the offense really wins if you look at it on an efficiency basis. Um, but the three of them are going to really set that up. Now, he's still got to win the job. Um, and he'll be a better pass protector on the inside than he was as a tackle at Central Michigan. Um, but he's still got some a ways to go there. I remember I watched him for uh, draft scouting. And um, I can't remember who I watched him against. 
and he he had a hard time. I think it was the Kentucky game. And he had a hard time as pass protection, but he had some really amazing reps running uh, in, in in run um, like running the ball. Sorry. <laughs> no, you're good. So it's oh sorry. sorry I was no, just gonna no. say, does he uh, is he in the mix to start? You think over Aaron Stinney? Is Robert Hainsey at all? Is there any conversation about him getting some reps at left guard or no? So I think uh, based on the OTA reports um, that that my guys uh, had. Uh, him and Stinney definitely were in play. I think Hainsey didn't get much in terms of reps. Um, and I would say it's probably a two-man race if I had to you know, bet on it. Um, Gedekis definitely got the better physical profile. Stinney's got, I would say, you know, he's got the history. He's proven that he can do it in short spurts. Um, and I would say the Bucks are probably, they want Gedeki to win it from Stinney is yeah. the way I would put it. Cool. Now, couple a couple of acquisitions, veteran acquisitions on the back end of the defense in Logan Ryan and Ken O'Neill. Um, very familiar names for most NFL fans. In terms of Logan Ryan, my question is: Could we see him supplant Sean Murphy Bunting as the starting nickel, or do you think like like they're all saying like they're they're being very guarded in terms top bowls and him in terms of where they're going to use him. Everyone's talking about his versatility. We'll use him everywhere. Do you think that could be the plan? Cause I know a, a lot of people, um, I think John Ledyard uh, specifically yep. uh, was quite fond of his play saying he's best suited to play in that slot. What are uh, your I, thoughts? Are you in that same camp? Yeah, I would definitely agree with it. Um, his best years were his last year with new England and then his time with Tennessee. And those were the years he was pri- primarily played in, in the slot. Um, he's got great hands. He blitzes off the edge so well. And for, you know, longtime Bucks fans, it, it could remind you of Rondé Barber and what he was able to do from, from the slot. Um, it, it is where he's best suited when you put him up high. And I'm not saying he can't play high. He can't play free safety a little bit. It's not something that I want to ask him to do a ton. Um, but I think that his ability to mirror and match down low and his communication skills. Um, he does well against bunch sets, just p- pulling his man and staying with him. His, he's definitely best served as a uh, nickel corner. Yeah, because I think like Sean Murphy Bunting is a guy who, I mean, he's gotten so much slack from this Buccaneers coaching staff. I mean, it feels like he has the longest leash ever. Like aside, aside from, man, in that playoff run, like he was a ball hawk and he has good hands for a DB. But I do feel like at times it feels like he's almost a liability out there. And I know he was coming off a a pretty bad injury to start the year. But I would love to see Sean Murphy Bunting have to compete and feel some pressure to to hold that kind of position within the defense. Because I love Davis and Dean outside, both looking to take, you know, a step up from the cusp of elite to elite if we're quoting PFF. Um, But really curious to see what happens and and how he's used in terms of Logan Ryan and Sean Murphy Bunting. The interesting thing with SMB, real quick, I apologize. Um, no, please. I get off on these tangents. The interesting thing with SMB is the coaching staff has always been really, really complimentary of his ability to process what he's seeing in the film room, right? He just seems like he's a very cerebral, very smart player. I was listening to the PFF podcast a couple weeks ago. Um, they had Rick Spielman, former GM for the the Vikings on, and he was really breaking down kind of what it looks like to roster build from an actual GM's perspective. 
And one of the things that he talked about was he went through a draft process with a, a prospect, didn't give out the name. He shouldn't have. I'm glad he didn't. Um, but they were, they were doing an interview with the kid and they asked, they, they showed him some stuff on, 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 in terms of breaking down a play. Then they asked him to break it down and he goes, he, he could break it down better than the coach did. Right. He just awesome recall. Apparently he had a, a, a didactic memory, but basically a perfect recall and he could break it down easily. Right what they found out. And so they ended up drafting him and what they found out was his ability to break it down in the classroom. And then the speed needed to break it down and have the muscle memory to do what you have to do on the field, two different worlds. It's, it's like the, you know, it's the difference between practical learners and theoretical learners, right? Yep. Some people might excel in a university environment. So at least here, like we're, we're in Canada, actually. I don't know if you even knew that, Josh, but in Canada, like university and college colleges generally viewed as the more practical learners route. A lot of like hands on stuff, right? Yep. For those types of learners, whereas university is more the academia side. So it's a really interesting dichotomy there to bring up. And, and, and that makes a lot of sense. That's super interesting. Yep. I think it goes to, you know, we as... Uh, I would say us in the media and then a lot of fans, you just expect guys to get it right. Like it's yeah. the Madden, you know, the, the Madden mentality, this guy's a, an 83 overall rating. That means he's going to be better than the 81 overall rating. It, it doesn't work like that. They're humans, right. And they learn differently. They are affected by things outside of their work environment, just like all of us are. They're just on a much more public stage and the expectation from the people who absorb what they, you know, the content that they bring for us in terms of, of their jobs is for them to be almost robotic. And it's just not possible. So you look at an SMB, he learns in the classroom from what we've heard very, very well. He's to this point had trouble translating that at the speed necessary to be successful consistently, despite having the physical tools translation execution right physical yeah. execution for sure yep. that's a super interesting point um the tight end position josh i throughout this offseason uh, as i mentioned on the last episode of the bucks banter podcast i had been very like pump the brakes to all the bucks nation like just pump the brakes he could be retired let's not just assume uh, but but my my optimism reached a different level um, and I, for whatever reason, I can't explain it, started to feel much more positive about the likelihood of Gronkowski returning and it being more a matter of the team, you know, maybe an under the table agreement or maybe it's not even gone that far. But the hope being he just needs as much time off as he can and he'll join at the last possible minute. I'm curious where you stand on that. Uh, my understanding also, because I want to get some of your your cap knowledge involved in the conversation here. Um they have enough money. To, you wrote a great article about it also. So I'll let you kind of talk about, about the cap. If they were to sign Gronk, would they have any wiggle room in addition to that? Um, and just sort of what are your thoughts on the Gronkowski situation? So they can't afford him. Um, it's going to be a deal a lot like Hicks. It's going to be a deal a lot like a lot of these veterans. You're going to push dead money, right? So it's going to be a one-year deal. Um, yeah, I would say around eight to 10 million, which is what he's played the last two years for the Bucks. Uh, 2020 played on a, the last year of his Patriots deal when he came out of retirement, which was 10 million. Um, and then last year, I think they signed him for eight. He had a great year last year. I think he deserves more. I think back to the 10, $10 million range. Um, I don't think he's worth the 15 million that, um, 
Pro Football Network put out there, which was ridiculous. But they can yeah, afford him. Thanks for putting them in their place on that one, Josh, by the way. That was, good. <laughs> that was one of the most fun pieces I've ever written in my life. <laughs> You're like, yeah, Gronk's good, but he's not $15 million a year. Like, yeah, like he's not what George are you guys talking Kittle. About? Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, they can afford him, but what it'll be is, you know, so let's say it's one year, $10 million. The cap hit this year will be somewhere around three and a half to $4 million. The rest of it will be deferred um, into void years, which will end up hitting next year's cap all of it so you'll get six to six and a half million would go dead next year go ahead i was gonna say you know as bucks fans are just getting familiar with this uh this old saints practice that they seem to have been doing for a decade mm-hmm. uh kicking kicking money down the down the line are the bucks doing it in a calculated enough manner where it isn't necessarily going to bite them as much as we all envision it fighting the saints and hearing it's going to eventually come down crumbling for them, even though it apparently never does. Uh, it will have an impact. Will it screw the team over? Not at all. Um, yeah, it hasn't, I will say it hasn't screwed the saints right over the decade plus that they've been doing it, but it does force them to make some tough decisions, right? The, the cap is not real club. It they're wrong. The cap is real and it does force some, some tough decisions. Typically what that is, is your tier two players. You may not be able to keep them. The Saints have done a a fantastic job of being able to sustain this practice two different ways. Number one, their drafting has been phenomenal. And I want to say it was the 2017 draft class that has really buoyed them over the last five years, right? I think that was the year they had Ramchick, they had Armstead, uh, Kamara, there were a couple other guys. Uh, oh, their free safety whose uh, name is uh, escaping me right now. They just had a, a amazing draft for, for all pro caliber guys in one exactly. draft. Right. So yeah. when you have all of those guys on rookie deals, it allows you a ton of flexibility with your vets. The other thing that the Saints have been able to do is they let go of those tier two guys, and then late in the the off season, they pick up more tier two guys on cheaper contracts. Right, guys who. Uh, like a James Bradbury, right? Who, who get released by the team, wasn't a free agent at the beginning of the um, off season, right? Gets released by their team and they're able to pull that guy in on a much cheaper deal than what he would have gotten if he was there at the beginning of free agency. They've done an amazing job with it. The Bucks won't be screwed. They're looking at, as of right now, a little over $49 million worth of dead cap next year. And that look, sounds like a big number. It is a big number. They had $19 million worth of dead cap this year. Okay, so we're really only looking at about a $30 million difference. The cap is going to explode over the next few years. The NFL just signed their new deal with Amazon. The revenues have been phenomenal over the last few years, COVID notwithstanding. It was the cap this year is $208 million. Most I projected about $225 next year. So we just look do some simple math there. We were already at $19 million in dead cap this year. Next year, we're going to be at $49 million. That's $30 million worth of difference. Well, the cap's going to go up $17 million. That accounts for more than Over half half. of that difference. So now you're looking at a difference of about $13 million. Okay, it's something. It's not everything, right? So And the Bucks can make a lot of different moves. Um, Vita Vea's contract is very easy to push money down the line Shaq Barrett's contract is very easy to push money down the line. Mike Evans, you could see a potentially an extension that would lower his cap number. Chris Godwin, I think his cap 
cap number could be manipulated next year so they can create the room. Um, the biggest issue for them next offseason is who's going to play quarterback and how much will that cost. Comes back to that for sure. And the way you just articulated that so beautifully for us and our listeners, Josh, uh, we appreciate. Um, recently in an article for USA Today, Doug Farrar, who's a great uh NFL player and and draft prospect analyst. He identified Antoine Winfield Jr. as one of the most underrated players in the NFL. And I just want to say, I think Mike Greenberg is maybe one of the most underrated executive or front office guys in the league because it seems to be really measured and forward thinking in terms of how he, they've been very conservative in holding on to their money and not kicking it down the line. And I don't know if they envisioned a scenario where they were trying to uh, – win another second Super Bowl in three years with Tom Brady as their quarterback. But what a time to be able to feel comfortable kicking a bit of that money down the line. And, and again, you just kind of laid that out for our listeners really nicely. So thank you for that. Yeah, the cool thing with Greenberg is he very much understands how to adapt his process to where this, the team is in their winning window, right? For years, when they were trying to just start winning, he set the contracts up where, all right, we'll bring in a big name guy. We'll give him a lot of money. But if he doesn't work out by year two, we can cut bait with very little impact to our cap go forward. Um, think, uh, goodness, it's a defensive end around 2015 and their left tackle is a big. Oh, is it George Johnson or uh, from Cincinnati? Is that the guy? It, it was, yeah, it was the left tackle and the defensive end from Cincinnati. Oh, sorry, both, came end. Um, both of those contracts they were able to get out of after year two. Okay. Michael, and that's Johnson? Michael Johnson. Yep. He was the defensive end. And then I want to say the left tackle was Anthony something. I can't believe it escapes me right now. Um, so a lot of names, but, man, a lot of names. When you, when you were, yeah. when, you were spewing off, when you were spewing off those numbers, I was just picturing the Zach Galifianakis meme of like <laughs> the numbers. So why don't you just take it easy on yourself with the words, bro. And, and I appreciate that. <laughs> so, but they were able to, to, structure the contracts to where if the guy doesn't work out, you can cut bait and run. These days, it's much harder to do that with some of the contracts that they've structured, but that's okay because these are established stars. We know the level of play that we're going to get from them. And you feel comfortable guaranteeing the second, the third year in order to maximize your, um, your winning window. And in order to get, because the reason they're guaranteeing those second and third years is to get the first year cap number low to allow them to do as much as they can this year. The player wants that guaranteed money. It has to be accounted for at some point. So if you're not going to account for much of it in year one, that's going to happen year two, year three, and down the road. Awesome stuff. Um, And, you know, in the blink of an eye, we have exceeded our personally imposed (laughs) quota of one hour, 60 minutes time. Uh, but I couldn't think of a better way to do it, Josh. I've, I've been admiring your work for quite some time. You and I have, have connected on Twitter, and it's truly been a pleasure to have you uh, join us here on the show. Uh, you know, our listeners get to learn a lot and get to introduce themselves to you. And I just want to say once more before we go our separate ways that uh, everyone, make sure you check out Josh's work at pewterreport.com. He does fantastic, fantastic breakdowns there. Follow him on Twitter at Josh underscore Quapo. Um, and yeah, Josh, any parting words for, for us before we get up on out of here? No, man. Um, I really enjoyed it. I had a blast. Anytime you want to have me on in the future, I I love talking this type of stuff. So, and to be honest, your, your time of day works a little bit better than, than 
the place that I work for. <laughs> so um, I'd be more than happy to come back. But I had a blast talking talking Bucks, and I think for Bucks fans out there, you're gonna have a really really fun season just based on not only the team, the core that that Jason Light and his team has put together, but a lot of these off season additions really complement the core very well and allows them to do a lot more things this year. So you're in for a treat. Beautiful parting message. Um, so, so on that note, on behalf of, of Bodan at Bono's ball on Twitter and myself at SI Buccaneers on Twitter, we want to thank you for joining us for another episode of the Bucks banter podcast. In what was our Derek's Derek Brooks episode. There he is right there behind me. Uh, tribute to one of the greatest uh, defensive players of all time. Uh, thanks so much for joining us and be well. Go Bucks.